What's wrong, sweetheart? Well, I've had the absolute worst thing happen to me, Christy. I don't think I can emotionally recover. Oh my gosh. It's not the cold brew again. What happened? Are you okay? Can I help? Christy, look. At your hand? Ugh. It looks fine to me. Oh, so you don't see the awful paper cut? Um, no. I'm sorry, though. Paper cuts are... They're the worst. My life is completely unsalvageable, and I'm giving in to despair. I think you're being a little... much? Well, I've decided my old life is too traumatic. I've called 1-800-H-O-R-S-E-M-N. Wait, wait. You called... He has called Apocalypse. Oh, no. Apocalypse offers a new life for those disillusioned with the problems of the weak. I will make your feeble husband strong at an affordable cost. Yeah, Christy. Apocalypse here is going to free me from my mundane problems, and I'm going to become a horseman of death. I see you more as a pestilence kind of guy. Unless you purchase the deluxe package. Oh, uh, well, do you finance? With a low APR. Or I waive it if you recruit ten of your friends. Ugh, get out of here, Apocalypse. Your survival of the fittest thing is weird, and now you've made your scam obvious. I'm looking for a good PR person if you know anyone. Get out! Uh, Apocalypse requires your bathroom prior to leaving. Fine. First door on the left. Chris, don't ever call multi-level marketing apocalypse. You know he's the worst. You're right, Christy. I'm so sorry. I'll get a bandage and then we can talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our second and final episode covering Mutant Massacre. Yes, uh, I promise this one is happier. I'm sure. Yeah, there's some sweeter moments. Yeah, there's some more downer moments. <laughs> In this episode, we are covering all of the X-Factor issues in this crossover, as well as the two Thor issues and the Power Pack issue. If you're asking about the Daredevil issue, we don't feel like covering it. It, it wasn't on the chart? And that's it? why we don't yeah. feel like covering it. Yeah, if it's not on the chart, I'm sorry. It has like a real minor kind of tie-in. Charts are gospel here. <laughs> sorry, it's not on the chart. <laughs> well, Christy, with uh, that... Would you like to get into an incredibly long summary? Summary! X-Factor number 9, written by Louise Simonson, penciled by Terry Shoemaker, inked by Joseph Rubenstein, colored by Petra Scotis, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Bob Harris. We start kind of mid-action as the government-sponsored Freedom Force, which is basically the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, has cornered wanted man Rusty Collins. A man X-Factor has decided to help, as well as his friend Sally Blevins, Skids, 
They manage to run off and the evil mutants give chase. X-Factor, clad in their hilarious blue track suits, are also after Rusty, but of course to give him some help. They have quite a bit of internal debate, which also clues us readers into their shtick. They pretend to be mutant hunters in order to help mutants, and also have another guise as mutant freedom fighters called the Exterminators. It's a whole bunch. X-Factor sees Magneto going into the Hellfire Club, as we readers saw in Uncanny 210. They're mad at this betrayal to the Hellfire Club, and goodness, can't mutants just talk to each other? As Rusty and Skids get re-cornered, a quote-unquote helpful anti-mutant mob chases away Freedom Force, especially considering Skids and Rusty don't look particularly like mutants, so it looks like these mean mutants are attacking some humans. X-Factor arrive, and Jean throws up a psychic shield to put some space between Freedom Force and the human mob, leaving Skids and Rusty time to escape into the sewers. Uh-oh. Freedom Force decides to leave, and X-Factor earns some awful press as weird pseudo-vigilantes. Sweet child Artie Maddox is hanging out at X-Factor headquarters when suddenly his mutant abilities pick up on bad happenings in the sewers below with Rusty and Skids. Hint, it's the Marauders. He tries to get PR leader Cameron Hodge to help, uh, but Cameron Hodge is awful and does not. Artie leaves to find his friends, but draws a picture on the wall of him down in the tunnels with Rusty and Skids, which X-Factor finds when they return. They put on their Exterminator's costumes and give chase. So much chasing. Artie finds his new lifelong pal Leech in the Morlock tunnels. Leech takes him to another Morlock named Caliban, but before things can get too wild... Danger. Freedom Force has found Rusty and Skids, but X-Factor arrives as well. Big fight ensues. The two teams seem to be at a bit of a parody, but Destiny, a clairvoyant mutant, foresees death for all if they don't leave. So Freedom Force gets the heck out. Rusty has been injured, though, leaving Jean to carry him off while Angel escorts Skids. Beast, Iceman, and Cyclops head to find Artie, and then screams are heard. But while all this awful stuff is happening, Mystique plans to expose Warren as a member of the quote-unquote mutant terrorist squad, the Exterminators. X-Factor number 10, and the credits for X-Factor number 11. Written by Louise Simonson, penciled by Walt Simonson, inked by Bob Wyshek, colored by Petrus Catisse, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Bob Harris. Cyclops, Beast, and Iceman come upon Arclight and Harpoon preying upon Morlocks, and Psyche uses his optic blast to cave in a portion of the tunnel and save the Morlocks. Gene, Angel, Skids, and the injured Rusty come back to X-Factor headquarters, where a very confused Skids rightfully thinks they are a mutant hunting group of the same name. She tries to run away, but Gene telekinetically holds her for her own safety? We come to Artie, Leech, and Caliban, who are attacked by Sabretooth. Artie and Leech flee into a small tunnel, and Cyclops and company happen upon Sabretooth, who eats an optic blast. The X-Factor crew, however, leave the theoretically knocked out Sabretooth as they are distracted by more trouble. Sabretooth wakes, however, and Caliban barely escapes into the tube. In a Worthington Enterprises board meeting, Warren's girlfriend Candy, also the chairman, learns of the news leaked by Freedom Force, that Warren is both an evil mutant and a backer of X-Factor. Warren unfortunately learns this from TV. 
Vertigo and Blockbuster, a very generic strong guy marauder, are pulverizing some other Morlocks before X-Factor intervene and fight them off. They gather some survivors and continue to try to find Artie. Jean and Warren share an emotional moment about the dream they tried to work for and how it's failed, and Warren gives her a kiss on the head, just in time for Candy Southern to walk in and accuse Jean of being a homewrecker. Yikes! In the emotional confusion, the two mutants head back to the tunnels. Surely this will go great. An elderly mutant named Plague is beset by Sabretooth and Harpoon, but she uses her powerful disease-causing ability on Sabretooth. Oh, and Harpoon is knocked out cold by a suddenly appearing apocalypse. He grabs Plague for future horseman purposes, and poof, he's gone. Jean and Angel find the rest of the gang fighting marauders, Arclight, Scrambler, and a new guy named Prism, who is basically just a human Prism. Jean completely shatters this chucklehead, but not before the bad guys incapacitate Psyche and Beast and temporarily blind Iceman. Jean takes the wounded back, leaving Angel to find Artie which he does. However, they're quickly found by Vertigo, Blockbuster, and Harpoon. Angel is outnumbered, and the enemies beat the heck out of him, and Harpoon uses his powers to pin Angel to the wall by his wings and plan to do worse by killing him. Thor 373, written by Walter Simonson, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Sal Buscema, colored by Max Sheely, lettered by John Workman, edited by Ralph Macchio. Yeah, he sounds like the Karate Kid. It's not, though. Oh, Thor is mostly unrelated to this, although there is a cute story where Thor in his civilian disguise as Sigurd Jarlson stays with his former boss and his entire large Italian family. Those Italian kids definitely figure out that Sigurd is Thor, especially when Thor hears of trouble in the sewers from his frog pal, Puddle Gulp. Thor rushes into the sewers to find the ever-present sight of slain Morlocks and hears Angel's cries of pain. Thor fights off the Marauders and notices Angel is still alive, but before he can take the mutant down, the Marauders come back for more. Power Pack 27, written by Louise Simonson, penciled by John Bogdanov, inked by Al Gordon, colored by Glennis Oliver, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Carl Potts. To sum this one up quickly, the Powers children, whose powers have recently been swapped around, see a vision of their friend Leech trapped in the sewers courtesy of Franklin Richards' powers. They go down to investigate and see the gruesome results of the Marauder's attack. It's honestly pretty awful for children to see. In a recurring motif, Alex Power blows up and collapses a tunnel for them to escape Sabretooth, and they come across Wolverine. Wolverine, like a responsible adult, tells them all to leave, and like an irresponsible adult, doesn't actually make sure that they do. Jack Power wonders if the mutant hunters known as X-Factor caused this, and they come across the bodies of Anna Lee and several of her kids. Again, pretty awful. The Power Pack come across their friend Leech and the injured Caliban. Cyclops and Jean head back down to the tunnels, where they assist the power pack in fighting off Arclight, Scrambler, and Harpoon. They have to tell Leech his adopted mother Annalie is dead. But Cyclops promises Leech a reunion with the other Morlocks. Beast and Iceman take Caliban and Leech away. Jack asks Cyclops if X-Factor did this, and Psyche explains that it was a new group. Honestly, this X-Factor spiel is terrible. The Powers kids head home after likely being incredibly traumatized. Thor 374. Written by Walter Simonson, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Sal Buscema, colored by Max Sheely, 
lettered by John Workman, and edited by Ralph Macchio. As the Marauders return, Thor whips the ever-living crap out of them, leading them to retreat. He takes down Angel, who asks where Artie is. Thor doesn't know, but they come across him soon enough. The strong member of the Marauders, Blockbuster, is made fun of by his nice team members for not being able to handle the mighty Thor. So he surprise attacks like a gentleman, breaking Thor's arm. Blockbuster is really taking it to Thor, and the gravely injured Angel jumps in to help. As Blockbuster attempts to kill Angel, Thor has no choice but to smash the Marauder in the face with Mjolnir, killing him. Later, they come across Marvel Girl and Cyclops, who Thor recognizes from years ago. Cyclops tells Thor not to believe everything he hears about X-Factor before the mutants retreat. Before they go, Thor tells X-Factor his plans to give the Morlocks a Viking funeral, and he creates a huge plasma burst that incinerates the Morlock bodies and provides drama for lots of other issues. X-Factor number 11. Beast and Iceman, who have rescued Caliban and Leech, are beset by a powerful group of Morlocks who think they're marauders. Whoops! Cyclops and Jean take a very injured Warren away, with Artie in tow. Artie relays a message from the unconscious Warren, of Warren and Jean hugging. Cyclops doesn't understand, and is sad. A theme in X-Factor is high soap opera with tons of misunderstandings. They find Iceman and Beast, and everyone figures out that no one is bad guys. This group of Morlocks is called the Tunnelers, and they kind of spit on the Drain Dwellers, which is another nicer group of Morlocks. Their leader, Berserker, wants to part ways, but his companions Mask and Scaleface talk him into coming with X-Factor for safety. They barely escape Thor's giant plasma blast, but Berserker finds out that the group is also mutant hunters. Honestly, I'm so tired of this shtick. Warren is rushed to the hospital while the tunnelers flee to the world above to get away from X-Factor. They unfortunately get into a fight with humans on the pier, only for cops to intervene. Jean and Sykes see this on the news as Warren is rushed into the OR. They travel to the pier and try to prevent more violence, but all of the tunnelers are killed. Save for Mask. Jean and Sykes take him away and later arrive back at the hospital where they find out Warren's wings will need to be amputated. Christy, do you like the X Factor section of Mutant Massacre? Um, it's my least favorite part of this whole event, I think. If you had to rate the two parts, this would be your li- your least favorite. Hey, this part this this part that we're covering also contains my favorite bits of this event because my favorite bits of these events aren't actually any X-Books. No, they are what? Power Pack and Thor. I thought they were both great, and after reading this whole event, I want to keep reading Thor and Power Pack. Well, you definitely need to read that Thor stuff, because it's it's smack dab in the middle of, like, the greatest Thor run of all time. It was, I mean, it was, it was really well done. Those were my favorite bits. And maybe those are my favorite bits because they're like the most happy and upbeat of this whole event. Because it's a lot of dark stuff that we deal with. And we get some really cute stuff in Power Pack. And Thor has lots of fun moments. And, you know, I either like absolutely love Thor. I absolutely hate Thor. When do you hate Thor? You know, sometimes people do the, the wordy Asgardian just a little bit too much. 
I didn't know that you, I didn't know that you hated Thor. I don't hate Thor. I just sometimes think he's not written well. Christy Edelman, hater of Thor. No! I love Thor in this. Well, I didn't really like it either. <laughs> um, it relies too heavily on the X Factor issues, which, like, props to Louise Simonson for the fact that she is typically a, an amazing writer. I mean, see these power pack, this power pack issue. Right. She is on the tail end of the early X Factor stuff. So. Leading up to this, like, I was looking for really great female writers of ongoing X-Men titles. Not not related to Mutant Massacre. No, no. It just so happened. And lots of people recommended Louise Simonson's X-Factor. Granted, a little later on than this, but I was like, well, we're about to read Mutant Massacre. And I know she didn't write the first issues, but I might as well. Like, Mutant Massacre, we start on with number nine, I think. Yeah. So you like I might as well read those first eight issues. And oh my gosh, guys. Those first eight issues. <laughs> they just set up a really bad premise because they wanted an excuse to bring the original five back together. Uh, I mean, we started off retconning the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah, that's the start. And it just then we just have I've never disliked Cyclops more than I have with this X Factor run so far. You mean leaving his wife and his newborn baby? Yes. It's awful. And then, you know, leaving his wife and his newborn baby already in, like, an awful spot, awful marriage. Like, it's not great. Uh, leaving them because Gene shows up, doesn't tell his wife he's leaving. His wife's like, if you leave, we're not going to be here when you get back. So he leaves, and, like, you know, a little while later, he's like, yeah, I should probably call and check on my wife. And she's not there, and he's surprised! <laughs> <laughs> But he also doesn't tell Gene that he's married. No, a lot of the X-Factor problems are nobody's telling anybody things. No! They are not communicating with each other well. Um, and Friends of friends of the show, uh, Jay and Miles, explain the X-Men uh, joke that this is a period in time where, like, between X, X titles, like, a lot of problems or, like pathos could be solved if anybody just picked up a phone. <laughs> right. It's like they're also used to Jean being able to read their minds that now that she's not, they don't actually know how to talk to each other. Oh, yeah. That's another fun retcon. They wanted to bring her back to like like Marvel Girl, like way back status. So they mm-hmm. took away all of her interesting new powers. I don't know how anyone could be nostalgic for the Silver Age <laughs> X-Men, which is the worst thing Stanley has ever done. Gosh, they pull it off. Everybody pining after Gene. Rusty pining after Gene. Warren pining after Gene. Even Bobby making just like off color comments. Us pining after Gene. You know. <laughs> She's done very well, some of this art, and then some of it... Mm. <laughs> yeah, fair. Mm. Uh, but Louise Simonson kind of had to, like, res- kind of pick up the pieces of the, the She's got a terrible stuff. premise, awful story happening, like, and thrown into this, this event. Right, which does not make it easier for you to try to solve any any issues that people didn't like with it because you still have to kind of put them in this like, place. Yeah, you still have to you still have to resolve the story. How many times did they go to the sewers and come back? 
It was like I was losing track. They were just, you know, carting. They had the convenient set of steps up from the sewers into the X Factor building, just direct pipeline. And Jean just kept like she was like a gurney for all of the wounded. It was a whole bunch. I agree with you, though. I, I enjoyed the Thor. I didn't sum them up quite as exhaustively because technically there weren't like main main story right but they were just the most fun to read i like john bogdanov's art with all the kids and i like that italian family oh my gosh it spoke to me uh (laughs) readers christy is a member of of a i think even larger than that family italian family i i have eight siblings guys so it just it just felt like a whole lot yeah and, like, of course, they were making a giant meal so Thor could just sit with them because they're like, well, yeah. you, we've already made it. I definitely, anytime I go to your parents for a meal, even, I, I mean, of course I'm invited, but I always feel like they have no idea how to plan for, like, a certain amount of people. So they just end up making a ton. They plan for large. That's they, it. they plan for for extra. Oh, they've only got one kid at home now. I don't even know if they know how to how to cook for for three my gosh. Yeah. Ugh, it's been it's been so long since they had to. But yes, Thor was great. Power pack. Oh my gosh. I know, I think you found a new uh something that is written by a female comic book writer that she I'm fairly certain Louise Simonson wrote all of it. It or at least most of it. It is such great all ages stuff. I mean, other than the fact that it's like, oh look, corpses, we're children. <laughs> Right. I mean, the corpses just kind of looked like they were sleeping. So, but yeah, I mean, death happened. But you know what? Whether we like to talk about it or not, kids have to deal with death. That's true. I don't know if kids have to uh, generate. I don't know if American kids generally have to deal with uh, that level. That's true. Poor Franklin Richards is like four years old at this point. Oh, my God. Also, where where are his parents? Right there. Did the Fantastic Four just go? I guess Franklin's gone. <laughs> we we tried calling your your mom and dad's house again, but nobody picked up. Maybe they'll be there tomorrow, Franklin. You'll just sleep with us tonight. Big ups to the Powers parents who somehow don't know that their children are superheroes and have also taken in. Wait, they don't know? I think, I wonder, I couldn't remember. I know that they know that an alien came. But I don't know if they actually know that their kids have superpowers at this point. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Because this whole time I thought the kids just wanted to get back because they didn't want their parents to be worried that they were gone. No, I think but it's no, really like... But no, they just don't know. Oh my gosh, that's so fun to read as a kid. That you get to go on, the, on all these secret adventures without your parents finding out. That's the best. It's very Goonies. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. I love it. They just take Franklin with them, who um, I think his mutant power hasn't been fully explored at this point, or at least it isn't alluded to. He is a, like, dimensional-level reality warper, and now he's just kind of making little dream illusions. Right, right. He can go into his dream form, where he he can kind of, like, just go right through him. And he projects his dream in the middle of a bedroom mm-hmm. where he's seeing what's going on in the Morlock tunnels. How terrifying must your nightmares be when your nightmares are reality? <laughs> I don't know. Poor Franklin. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot for a kid to deal with. But, I mean, it just seems so fun. And the dialogue between them is so perfect. Like, it's so perfectly childish. And the art is so like the kids look like kids. And yeah, a lot of comic book writers uh draw kids as just tiny adults or comic artists. 
I think I'm trying to think if that's less of a problem now than it used to be, but I feel like you it, it's this sometimes you get the Renaissance era art problem where right. it's just like no one's seen a baby before. Right. Yes. Uh, they they all kind of like especially Franklin, he looks so much like just a little toddler. <laughs> He's got kind of like like the pajama pajama child body. Oh my goodness. He looks like he could be part of a um oh my gosh, why can't I think of that artist? The like a Norman um, Rockwell. Norman, yeah. Nailed it. This is thank you. Yes, he looks like he came straight out of a Norman Rockwell in yeah. comic book art form. In comic book art form, yeah. It's that one's super cute. X Factor is completely packed with pathos. Oh my gosh! And uh, I was kind of sad when Freedom Force left because I felt like they were really interesting. <laughs> Freedom Force was interesting. I kept wondering how on earth Spider Woman got. On that team, part of that group. She's not a mutant. Right. Yeah. Just just joined up. I like that Mystique disguises herself as Uncle Sam. Oh, that was Mystique as Uncle Sam? Yep, she I, she changes her appearance. I could have sworn I saw them in the same panel together. I didn't Yeah, it was supposed to be her shifting or shifting one way or the other. Oh. I was just like, who's this Uncle Sam guy? Ah, <laughs> uh, at first I was like What's, oh, I was like, oh, Mystique's changing. I always just like Mystique and Destiny, though, because Mystique is like, all right, the rest of you, complete fools. I will never listen to you. Destiny's <laughs> like, we need to leave. Mystique's like, we need to leave. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mm. mean, I, I think I would have that level of trust in you. Well, th- at this point, uh, it's t- it, right now it is uh, in 2019, it is completely textual. That Destiny and Mystique had a had a long term relationship where they were in love, not like good friends, not like gal pals, like literally lesbians in love, mm-hmm. or however you want to say it. I think Mystique's gender identity is is under a little bit of it's a little more fluid, I think, than 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 is often given credit. I mean, shape shifter with a fluid gender sure. identity. She sure. te- she Mystique is generally referred to as she though, so mm-hmm. we'll say she. At this point, I could totally just see, see them as it was technically subtextual at, at during Mutant Massacre, but it was like, well, of course they are. Oh yeah, because I was totally just reading it through the lens that they were, and it just seemed like they were. Yeah, in the eighties, they were they were they were still a little weird about things like that. Oh, of course. Whereas Claremont was like not weird about things like that. <laughs> He's Claremont put so many like female relationships that could be. They just had like an embrace in there that mm. like. Oh, I think it was like Mystique cradling Destiny's head, and it was it was real sweet. It was real sweet. They're very sweet. Um, it was it's so silly that we ever had to confirm it. I mean, it was it's I, I I'm glad it's confirmed. It's just the fact that they left it kind of ooh, I don't know, it's such a weird <laughs> thing. And it's twenty twenty entire nineteen. <laughs> oh, yeah, I loved Spider Woman. Uh, not realizing, like they they just didn't seem like they were very good at working as a team yet. Because well, Spider Woman was new, I think. Oh, okay, because Spider Woman definitely wound up like kicking Mystique in the back of the head when Mystique had uh, morphed into Jean. Morph is that the right term for her using? Yeah, that's there? fine. Morphed into Jean. I was uh, like, oh, Spider Woman, I was I was rooting for you. Yes, yeah. you're Julia Carpenter. You are you're, not my favorite Spider Woman, but you're a Spider Woman, and I expect better. Is Julia Carpenter even in your top two Spider Women? Um, n- no, because I think Gwen Stacy would <laughs> beat her. 
Yeah. Sorry, Julia. <laughs> I think she's a cool costume. I like her psi webs. I like her psi webs. They're very cool. They they feel extremely powerful, and yet everybody tends to like thwart them fairly easily. Like these seem really good. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, what are we going to do about these webs? Oh, guess we're just going to like punch her in the head because when her concentration's disrupted, <laughs> they're gone. We're just going to give this woman a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm going to be frank. I cannot be interested in Rusty and Skids. They are two very similar flavors of vanilla. I don't know. They're just... I thought Skids was kind of fun. Skids is better than Rusty, but they eventually get um, brainwashed and turned into bad guys, and then I feel like they just get forgotten about. (laughs) Oh! Um, This is still the era where we only have one group of well i guess at this point there are two bad groups of mutants mm-hmm. there's freedom force it used to be brotherhood of evil mutants and there's the marauders in the 90s there's like five or six and i can't remember which one rusty and skids get brainwashed into joining but they they all there's like dice roll and Fireboy, and there's just a billion different <laughs> names and i never know where they belong they need to color code them gearhead and <laughs> color code them give them gang signs Skid Mark. <laughs> uh, uh. So, Rusty versus Pyro. So, when you were telling me about Pyro, you were telling me, well, he can't, like, make fire. He can only manipulate fire. And I was like, oh, that's really, that seems, like, really weak, kind of pointless. Like, you just take out his flamethrower and he's he's useless, yep. right? But, like, you pit him against Rusty and you think, oh, Rusty, he can make the fire. Huge fire blast. But then, like, Pyro just controls that fire. Yeah, Pyro <laughs> makes Rusty look like a real doof. Like, when they meet each other, it's like, oh, yep. Plus, Rusty doesn't even seem like he can hurt the strong guy yeah. on the Freedom Force. Rusty is never really given a um, a code name that, that sticks. I've heard him called Fire Fist, but I think that's an after-the-fact thing. He's just Rusty, which is just yeah. like... I mean, he's a mutant who hates that he's a mutant. Yeah. And he's got, like, he's not, he, he is, a, he's, like, just strictly better off. Like, he's not even, like, a Morlock where he looks weird and has to go right. away from society. Right. He's just, like, uh, a decently, decent-looking redheaded guy who can <laughs> control fire, which is... Like, I really empathized with him in his first appearance when he goes through his traumatic, like, burning the prostitute that his captain tries to make him sleep with. X-Factor, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, this poor kid. And then he's like, oh, a mutant. I'm a mutant. This is awful. Uh, I liked that we got one more member of the Marauders, uh, Blockbuster, or two more members, Blockbuster and Prism. Prism is there for like three panels, and Gene maybe murders him. I'm not sure. I feel like in this whole section of the crossover that the Marauders don't feel that scary. No, and they they go up against some of the tougher Morlocks, mm-hmm. who in some cases, like, kind of outclass them. Right. Like, Berserker is really strong. And Mask is just really creepy in a strong way. He can kind of rearrange your face. Right. I just feel like it's really important to have read the Uncanny section of this first, so you really have that that fear kind of instilled in that well, like, this if, is- if we'd been doing it, th- I'm sorry, I interrupted. If we were doing this the right way... We would probably be, like, slowly, like, reading each one. It just made more sense, I think, to cover it in chunks. Yeah. Gosh, I, I don't know. 
I almost like reading it this way because I feel like I would have it would have been too tough for me to keep track of that many titles. Oh, agreed. Uh, and how many times people went to the tunnels and came back? I would have been like hitting my head against the wall. Or reading this as it came out and the Thor issue came out late, like one week after the crossover was done. Yeah, and so you had to rely on the the in issue. Uh, like, explanation, explanation for how Warren got free. I don't know why it came out. What I don't know if it was scheduled that way or what. I don't, I mean, it came out a month after the first one did, so it seemed like it was probably its regular schedule. So I don't know if it got pushed back earlier on. Before I don't know. This was one of the very early crossovers, and it was especially one of the earliest crossovers that had this many weird titles in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, I think they didn't necessarily think that much about shipping schedule beforehand i mean yes people went to comic book stores i don't know things were just consumed at a different pace right i mean right now i can get on uh my tablet at midnight 01 (laughs) and read on a wednesday and read all the new issues (laughs) oh all right so before we get into our accolades do we want to do or do we want to do accolades then listener questions I feel like we've never quite figured out. No, I think last time we did accolades and listener questions. I think that would be best. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss? I feel like we just dunked on this comic. Oh, we talked about some bits that we really liked. Like Power Pack and Thor. Yeah. Accolades. (laughs) Accolades. All right, Christy, what is your best line? I need to hear it. Uh, my best line comes from Franklin Richards uh, <laughs> when he's uh, like a tagging scrambler and he's standing on her head and he's thinking to himself, gosh, what would Uncle Benji say? Uh, uh, thinking about, you know, the thing. Ben, yeah. 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 He's, so he says to scrambler, um, go back to Yancey Street, you Yahoo. <laughs> Mine is also from Franklin, but it's a different line. <laughs> so there's a bit where the the power pack have all decided to vote, and they say all in favor say aye. The two <laughs> older kids say aye, a y e. The two younger kids say aye, just aye, like just the letter I. And Franklin says I with a question mark, and it's like the body part I. Yes, I feel and I'm like-, like it's so perfectly done. For com like that couldn't be done in any other medium. Yeah, it would just it would l- you wouldn't have the visual cue of the confusion, right? It it takes like this amount of space to do a really great visual gag that I uh-huh. feel like it would take a weird amount of time in like a prose book to do. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the, sometimes like the eighties are hard to match when it comes to really good visual language in comics. And I just thought it was funny that as it went down the line, it seemed to be like less and less understanding of what they were talking about <laughs> until Franklin was just like, I, oh. uh, I love Franklin Richards. He's just a good child. Yep. All right. What about your greatest hero? Mine has to go to Artie Maddox who decided that with, without any offensive powers, and no help whatsoever. He was going to go rescue his friends from murder people, even though he was just oh, he was yeah. just a tiny child. Yeah. And he ended up making new friends and rescuing them, or helping to try to rescue them instead. And yeah, he saw good, Angel good getting really messed up. Artie's got like a really rough deal. Yeah, I love Artie though. Artie and Leech are best friends forever, and I kind of love it. This is the this is we get to see this established here where Leech is like, "What's up, little weird bald headed kid?" 
<laughs> I'm also a weird I'm bald also a kid. weird little bald-headed kid. Let's go hang out. <laughs> Caliban's like, I am a bald-headed adult. <laughs> the three amigos. The three amigos. Uh, all right. Well, my greatest hero, I thought about a lot of different things. And, and I'm going to give you my second choice, and then I'm going to give you my first choice. Sure. Okay, so my my second choice was Thor, but not for anything he did for this crossover, just for the fact that he took all of the Italian children on a park outing so their parents could have some time alone. This Thor that exists in this run is like the he's he's like a golden retriever. He's just a good boy. <laughs> it and, is the best. Yeah, I love his They've eventually decided that the whole, like, turning between uh, Donald Blake and Thor was weird. So instead, Thor as himself just has this. <laughs> and so they decided he, he's like, I guess I'll do construction because it would just make sense because he's right. a giant beefy man. Hammer. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, but my first choice, hey, I'm doing the second because it ties into my coolest moment. Mm-hmm. So my first choice for greatest hero has to go to Louise Simonson for giving me my coolest moment. The only time that I have liked Cyclops sit in this entire crossover, and it was in Power Pack job, that Lizzie. I liked him. <laughs> uh, when he co- comes and, and comforts Leech, he picks him up, and Leech turns off his power, so Cyclops takes off his visor so he can look him right in the eyes. And they just have this, this sweet little moment where he sh- reassures him, you know, everything's going to be okay, and we've got, you know, these are... We have Erg and Ape and Tar Baby, and they're your friends, and they're safe, and we're going to take you to them, and it's all going to be okay. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the only time I've liked Cyclops so far in this whole run. <laughs> and it was in Power Pack. Uh, yeah, he had like a weird moment of kind of being a good dad. Right? After being like a completely terrible dad. Right. He got to be a good dad to Leech. It was very sweet. <sighs> so that was my coolest moment. Oh, it's just like sweetest moment. Right. I just thought that was really cool that he got to he got to have that. Get on Wheezy. I would love to talk to Wheezy. She just seems like a very sweet lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, after we kind of dunked on her X-Factor issues, I do not think it's her fault. No. I think she had a, mo- no. a mammoth task to try to do. She's apparently said in interviews that like this was such a headache that she had no idea why they did it again. The next x-men crossover is fall of the mutants and the <laughs> same people were on it for the most part oh. and she said there was just so much like over the phone i feel like it's probably way easier to collab these days when oh, i can just yeah. shoot you a picture in three seconds right my coolest moment is when thor decides that he's not just gonna leave all of these morlocks bodies to like rot in the sewer or get picked over by vermin mm-hmm. and then he's gonna do a viking funeral so uh i i we're, we're both american but i have Swedish heritage, and it tends to be the heritage I latch onto the most because it's kind of like the only heritage, like that I experienced as a child. My mom would occasionally do like things for Santa Lucia Day, or she would make her 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 Swedish grandmother's famous Swedish meatballs. So um, I kind of had like a very like Viking moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm more German than I am Italian, but you. you... <laughs> You ask me, I'm Italian. Right. It's, yeah, I'm also, it's the heritage I grew up with. I'm also more German than Swedish. But, <laughs> oh. uh, it's just, I just tend to latch on to Swede stuff. I don't know. I When people say, I, I don't know, I kind of latch on to German stuff too. But I feel like I tend 
didn't really latch on to my Swede heritage. <laughs> um, uh, but so the it was coolest really moment. Really cool. Although it's funny because it also just made other crossovers go. What was that? Was that so and so? There was. This was an era where I feel like there was. It was just assumed that a lot of things would be confusing to characters, and I think that there's this tendency now to just explain everything really quickly mm. and not leave things open. But at this point, like, they're like, even like this, this happened in Uncanny. They, they were like, what was that? Was it Storm? And Storm's like, I don't know if it was me. Right. She was like upset at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, now, Christy, how about your Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? My Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy goes to Sabretooth. Uh, because after Power Pack collapses the tunnel on him, he, has a fist up and he's shaking it like kind of like a get off my lawn you meddling kids how many tunnels get collapsed <laughs> in these issues there's so many like cave uh, in the tunnels cave in the tunnels are any tunnels i left? mean well it's because alex is grappling with the use of new powers and whether or not he you know wants to potentially kill someone which he doesn't <laughs> which as a kid is maybe not something you should have to grapple right? with but right I don't know. Wheezy rules. She's just so good. Uh, what was your S- Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? Oh, it goes to Blockbuster, who lets himself be browbeaten by his <laughs> companions into taking on a literal god. And, uh, you know, he, like, Thor kills him, and that's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to make light of death, but it was like, what a bad decision. Uh-huh. You're a strong, your, your, your gimmick is you're a strong guy, and you, you have like an eighth tier strong guy name. <laughs> blockbuster he sounds like his mutant power is he, renting me videos he does break thor's arm though he does but the, the first be- sign that thor is now uh now cursed a little bit by yeah, he can't heal yeah yeah he will live forever death will not take him but He'll his body heal. will 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 break and he will never heal yeah that doesn't last forever. Just right. You know. I mean, guys, we all know Thor has a broken arm all the time, right? <laughs> as well as, right now, does he still have... He lost an arm recently. Oh. Yeah. I thought he lost an eye. Did he lose an arm, too? No, he also lost an eye recently. Okay. Thor's not having a rough time. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our accolades. Do we want to get into our somewhat extensive Twitter questions? Yeah. Let's get into those questions. All right. First question is from friend of the show and my uh, kind of boss, Xavier Files. <laughs> like, boss? What? <laughs> Your boss? Who is the best marauder? Uh, best marauder or like best, like, I feel like we've got to define our best here. Like, who's our favorite marauder or who is the best at being bad? Who's the best at be- well just I mean I don't think any uh, yeah I don't know who's who's the best marauder <laughs> Who's it Christy <laughs> Um I'm going to go with my definition of best as like best costume and I'm going to go with Vertigo You be- love Vertigo's I costume I love Vertigo's costume It'd be a fun cosplay Oh my gosh I don't know if I can do any sort of unitard suits I believe in you <laughs> oh. <laughs> But, like, I don't know. The one that's probably the best at being bad, I guess, Sabretooth. Yeah, I think Sabretooth's just the best out of all of these. I've, I, you barely hear the other ones ever again. They show up occasionally as kind of cannon fodder. Even the ones that are killed are recloned by Sinister. 
Mm, yeah. Mm. All right. So our second question uh, comes from another friend of the show, Nir Ravel at Ravel Nir or underscore Nir on Twitter. How do you feel about the big retcon to this event? Gambit. So the whole deal is that it is eventually revealed that Gambit was working for Mr. Sinister at the time. Oh, something I don't know if we've... I think we've explained it, that Mr. Sinister was the one who sent the Marauders. Yeah, I don't know if we have addressed it. So if we haven't, Mr. Sinister sent the Marauders. Yep. And it, the whole deal was that Gambit was was the one who guided Sabretooth and his group down to the tunnels, whereas... Um, Scalp Hunter was kind of the little leader of the other group, the, like the one that we saw in the uncanny issues. Mm-hmm. But Gambit felt bad and he didn't do any actually killing of mutants and happened to save one of them. Okay. A mutant who ends up becoming Marrow, who has cool bone powers. It's bad. Yeah. Gambit just works to me better as like a fun thief boy. Mm-hmm. And like, let's have him, uh, just working with murderers. Not not into that. It's an awful retcon. Trey bad. Trey bad? Trey bad. Trey mall? How do you say it in in French? How do you say bad in French? How do we not know how to say bad in French? I don't know. I didn't take French. I didn't either. I took German. I took Spanish. There we go. That's why I said mall. <laughs> <laughs> the gentleman from Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, Jeff and Rick are asking us a very power pack oriented question. Why is Sabretooth always considered to be so tough when he was taken out by five children? <laughs> I would argue that he was taken out by the power of friendship and teamwork. Uh, yeah, I think it's because he stood toe to toe with Wolverine, who I feel like is a measuring stick of, <laughs> of being real bad. If you can, like, go toe-to-toe with Wolverine. Wolverine's kind of the wharf of the X-Men, where a lot of times you throw somebody against Wolverine, and if they kind of beat him up, you're like, oh, oh, oh this this guy's pretty, this guy's pretty <laughs> tough. Um, my riding partner, Robert Secundus, on Twitter, asks prompt, swap out Thor for any other non-mutant-related Marvel character. How does the mutant massacre change as a result? Christy, let's do this. You and me uh, both do it. Okay. Um, so let's say Wasp. Yes. Happened to be out with, out with some children in the park and, and. I don't know why Wasp is with children, but I'm in. You know, that's where Thor was. Children in the park. That's true. Uh, you know, maybe she's doing something else in the park. Maybe Mm -hmm. not with children. Uh, I don't, a frog pal wouldn't have been able to talk to her. (gasps) Oh man. I want to go with. Wasp doesn't actually, like, communicate with any creatures. No, Ant-Man communicates with ants. Right. Mm, I keep thinking of Captain America, and I think he would really want to go in and help if he somehow found out about it. But I mean, I I feel like any of them would want to... You'd like to think that any of them, if they found out, would want to go help. it, It is so wild. Captain America in Avengers comics, great. Paragon of Virtue, best guy. Captain America in X-Men comics is like that, like the cop who knocks on your door and tells you to turn the volume down. But like, yeah. always like, you know, I know that a lot of you were murdered again, but you're causing a lot of issues here with your <laughs> rabble rousing. And I'm like, Cap, what? So I was, I feel like this would actually be a good occasion. This would have been a good occasion for yeah. Cap to maybe get some cred. Yeah, like if Cap would have gone, I don't know. If Cap would have gone down there, I feel like he would have had some sort of confrontation with 
the with X Factor. Yeah, because the whole deal with X Factor apparently because X Factor he would recognize them as part of the exterminators group that we've all seen on television and just assume that they've all gone bad and that he needs to take care of them. And it would be like the whole misunderstanding of the tunnelers fighting X-Factor all over again, but just with Cap. I hate the X-Factor exterminators shtick. It is the worst thing. It's awful. It's awful. They created the exterminators to throw off the scent of X-Factor actually being mutants. And it's just... I don't know why anybody thought it was a good idea. Literally every tie-in issue to this has been like, or every, every, every run or every issue or every title in this crossover has had at one point somebody say, this is like a bad idea. And I don't understand why this is happening. Or like X Factor is terrible and it has a bad effect on everybody else. All the other mutants just as its existence and everybody's non-mutant mentality mm-hmm. it's bad it's all bad <sighs> all right well we have at cave of splendor on twitter 21st century mystic asking imagine mutant massacre never happened or wasn't as financially successful do you think that would mean claremont never tried to crossover again or were crossovers like thanos inevitable <laughs> Uh, I think after Secret Wars. Oh, yeah, it was going to happen. It was going to happen. Although I really do like this style of crossover, though, because by the end of it, we mentioned this last issue, it feels like there's tons of threads that you want to see what happens. It's not its own self-contained thing. So I feel like it's a complete opposite kind of attempt from Secret Wars, which was its own little self-contained story to actually weave it into the titles. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember if they particularly liked having to do this, though. So... That's interesting, but they're, I think crossovers were just going to happen. It is, it's literally like the simple one hero is good. So, and two here, two heroes are good. What if just <laughs> put them together and have two heroes? Yeah. I'm shocked it took them that long to do like a, to get to crossovers. Yeah. Out of like all of history, they would often have like ga- kind of guest starring stuff. Like, right. In this yeah. issue of Superman, Batman's there. But yeah. As opposed to actual crossing over. Um, friend of the show, Josh Garvey, asking lots of questions. Does the structure of the mutant massacre work for you? I think you. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I just kind of answered your question well, early, Josh. The inciting event is largely off screen with most of the stories dealing with the consequences. That's true. It's literally just like we have mostly found them after they've done a lot of murders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the story wasn't really about the Morlocks. No, that was kind of the window dressing. Oh, dead bodies as the window dressing? It's not great, but that's kind of what they were doing. Mm. Yeah. Where does the Logan Sabretooth feud rank for you in terms of Marvel Comics blood feuds? I am a child of the 90s, and so pretty high, because it was in the cartoon. Uh, I don't don't know. I'm trying to think of other blood feuds. I don't know. Do you? You don't really have the history with this, per se, right? No. No, I I like, I I know that Wolverine and Sabretooth have a long and storied history but i'm trying to think of other like yeah, like red skull and cat in america um no no it's not i mean so you. i guess this would rank high because i just you just don't care uh, yeah <laughs> i just don't think you care about blood feeds uh christina edelman does not read comics for blood feeds not really her thing. <laughs> no it's not what i'm here for uh, do you miss any of the massacred Morlocks? I miss Anna Lee a lot. I want her to come back. It soon. broke her death. Broke my heart. I didn't really know sad. 
that I needed her until I saw her die. I think in light of recent, well, recent-ish events that would have been difficult to foresee in 1985, it hit me especially hard. Yes. Yes. Um, this one's kind of a silly question. Do you think the other Marauders look at Sabretooth's press clippings like, I don't get it. I'm murderous. I'm big. Why aren't I making the news like this? This is just because he has a beef with Logan. Arch nemesis discrimination, this is. Um, (laughs) Does this require an answer? Is it just a fun question? Sabretooth was actually there first, so that's why he gets it. He was originally an Iron Fist villain. (laughs) Um... Uh, God, lots, lots of friends of the show. Friend of the show, Abrawl2099 asks, do you think Warren's injuries changed him for better or for worse? Another thing we didn't mention is after this, Warren becomes the, and, and why I, I wrote the cold open the way it was, he becomes the horseman of death for Apocalypse and is changed into Archangel. Yeah, yeah. Metal wings. Yeah, I haven't stand. actually read the stuff with him as Archangel. I know that it happens, and, I, and then they were, they were like, amputate wings, and I'm like, oh, this is where it happens after this. I need to keep reading. I don't know if uh, this guy's too happy, let's make him really sad, is necessarily always something good. I like Archangel, though, as a concept, and I I I think it is some at least interesting forward character development. I'm not right, sure if it's good or bad. Warren's just been kind of like a dude bro. Like, oh, I don't yeah. know. In, in some of Claremont's early stuff, he basically seemed like, why would I be an X-Man? I'm rich and I get to make out with my girlfriend all the time. All right. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Like he would just hang out with Candy Southern in his like rich person house. Oh, yeah. Mansion. Yeah. I mean, our introduction to him in X-Factor was him hanging out at the pool with Candy. Yeah. That's. Right before the Dark Phoenix saga, that was effectively what he was doing. So, like, for, like, years, he was at the same pool. <laughs> same pool, same candy. <laughs> All right. Uh, Apple J at whew, Jackie Ev 87585672 asks, Has an estimate ever been given of how many mutants were killed in the mutant massacre? I wondered if this was going to be in that Hoxpox chart, mm-hmm. but it was perpetrated by mutants, so they didn't count it because it was specifically charts of when humans did things. Right. Which, prior to events in Hoxpox, I guess this is kind of spoil- spoilery. Like, if you skip ahead 30 seconds, skip ahead 30 seconds. Sinister at this time was human, or to our knowledge, human. So, if he's the one hiring the mutants, no, this was be- the mutant one. Well, yes, I'm. I, we know that now. Yes, at the, yeah. At that point, Sinister was but, uh, was just kind of a strange human. So yeah, so Sinister is like mutant. So yeah, wouldn't make the list. So it does not make the list. All the numbers that we've seen have just said hundreds. So we would say less than a thousand and more than two hundred. Yeah, I think from the, like the comic though, I like if I, just from the pages, I would have guessed like maybe like thirty or forty. But we right. just have to kind of take their word for it, right? It's hard to render lots and lots of bodies. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think I would have wanted to yeah. see that no many thanks. dead bodies. Yeah, I don't want to see like a a Les Miserables level of <laughs> <laughs> a pile. Yeah. Oh. Um, at Stephen Carville asks, a good test of any major story is what would have been different if Mutant Massacre didn't happen. Would Warren have been ultimately corrupted anyway? Whatever Apocalypse wants, Apocalypse gets. And, a, and and little man, little Apocalypse wants you. Mm, yeah. Just imagining Apocalypse saying, whatever Lola wants. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that was maybe part of the plan. 
And, um, they just kind of, this was just the, the inciting incident. If it wouldn't have been this, it would have been something else. Right. Right. Um, at Gear or Garrett Rooney at Runeg asks, as one of the earliest Marvel crossovers, how do you feel Mutant Massacre holds up relative to later ones? Um, I think that it, I think that the, the uncanny versus X Factor sides are very differing. Mm-hmm. Um, not as different as what we saw in Phalanx Covenant. Yeah, that is very much like these are separate stories where they're just fighting the same guys in completely different ways. Right. These are definitely still like they're, there's, there's even a little crossover. Like, you know, there's that bit in Uncanny where they see Cyclops' optic blast and go, oh, I guess Cyclops is here. Right. Yeah. yeah. I like they don't try to find him. They're like, oh, there he is. <laughs> it's real silly. Yeah. And so I don't know. I think. I think it was an interesting try, uh, and I think there's probably reasons we don't see crossovers quite like this now. I think um, they are trying to make things a little bit more reader-friendly, and something like this with the very complicated, like, Super Mario pipeline of charts was was maybe, like... Like, if he wanted to read it all, was maybe much. Whereas I'm like, oh, gosh, if I was just wanting to read this run, I I could... I could have read these issues mostly on their own without having to read the tie-ins, but I might have wanted to read the tie-ins. Right. Uh, so I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're not... They don't make anything seem ancillary, though, in this one. It all seems like you are probably supposed to read it from the chart. Right. At least that's that's the impression I got. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. At Asimov underscore fangirl asks, Hi, Chris's, which Morlock would you like to be resurrected and or get Glob Herman levels of notoriety and development? Thanks. Those Morlocks get resurrected a ton. <laughs> oh, no, not Morlocks. The Marauders get resurrected a ton. My apologies. I want Tommy to come back because I think she has cool rainbow hair and would benefit a lot from modern coloring techniques. Ooh. Oh, that that... Yeah, that's an interesting answer. Also, she becomes Flat Stanley, which is kind of a fun power. <laughs> I love that reference. That's perfect. <laughs> what if uh, there is an episode or an issue of her um, getting resurrected and leaving Krakoa to see what the world is like? And there's just lots of pictures of her being flat in places. And it's just a <laughs> Flat Stanley reference. Oh, I don't know. I feel like Annalie needs to come back and have a reunion. Um. They're the, the new, all the children that are up on Krakoa are going to need uh, a care, a caretaker. Uh-huh. And she seems like that's, she's great at that. Right. In fact, I think they should have brought, I, I, if I don't see her soon, I'm going to write Mr. Hickman. <laughs> that he won't read. That's true. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't read the talks. We know that's true. Uh, great questions. Yeah. Thanks everybody. That was a, that was a, for the fact that I posted that today, <laughs> that's the most questions we've ever gotten. Yeah, yeah. Well, mutant massacre seems like it's kind of uh, kind of being being talked about on the Twitter. It's all our a lot fault. Recently, mm-hmm. I think I think so. Yep, it's mm-hmm. just all us. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it for our show. Uh, next time, we're going to be doing a Marvel crossover that is not X Men. Yeah, is it this the one that's going to be voted on by the the patrons? No, I think we 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 are two episodes away from a patron vote. <sighs> I'm so excited for one of these patron votes. Does that mean the patrons are going to be voting on a DC event? Because I think... I'm going to let them do anything, but suggest if they have a favorite DC that would keep us on track. I think that's fair, right? 
They're not going to pick DC. You know our patrons. I do. They're right. Mar- <laughs> they're, they're <all laughs> We're going to do X-Men again, guys. <laughs> yeah. See, seems likely. Um, also, uh, readers, if you are interested, I have a, uh, I, well, I guess I, I guess we can say we, but I am interested in uh, spearheading and making happen a, superhero based audio drama uh so if you're not following me on twitter and you're just following the podcast follow me at christy edelman and i will be posting updates and things i were looking for writers and voice actors and it's in its very very baby stages right now so i'm excited about it yeah we actually have a ton of projects coming up oh my gosh we can finally talk about, yeah, Docs Talks. Yes. Um, so there will be six titles spinning out of Hawks Pox, um, and we are going to be writing about them for Xavier Files. Now, Christy and I are not going to be on the same title. I'm going to be with uh, my Hawks Pox Talks partner. Yeah, I can't break you two up. Yep. <laughs> We're inseparable now. Uh, Robert Secundus and I will be uh, doing Talksmen, which is going to be talking about the main X-Men title after our Polygon coverage wraps up. Yes, and I will be covering with Michelle Gallipoli, uh Marauders as Marauders. I love the title. Thank you, Zach. Uh, it's going to be some good times. We're going to have a ton of um, friends of ours and other great critics who we don't know as well, but we are excited to work with um, on these other books. And we're going to be probably continuing into phase two. Mm-hmm. We're kind of wanting to... F- kind of structure these a little bit more like a fun conversation than like a strict review. Is it good? Is it bad? What worked? What didn't? Mm-hmm. We uh, want to, we want to bring you that what you're not going to be getting other places. Yeah. Fun discussions of all of these issues. Yeah. And so that's going to be starting, I guess when the books come out, like week, week, week per week. Uh, I'm so excited. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Um, if you want to, Follow us on Twitter. We're at Chris's Pod. Same on Facebook. You can email us on Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. Please uh, rate and review us on iTunes or Facebook or wherever you listen to and can rate your podcasts. We will shout you out on the show. Yes. Another way to get shouted out on the show is to support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Chris's Pod. And uh, we have lots of fun levels that you can support us at, uh, and you will get, in some cases, a very permanent addition to the oh, show. I can't wait for the new accolade. Yes. Uh, if you support us at the highest level for six months, you can permanently suggest an accolade that we will have to do forever. Oh, I bet it's going to have to do with cereal. Probably. <laughs> We also have a Kofi, www.ko-fi.com slash Chris is on Infinite Earths. You can donate to us in $3 increments um, from $3 to $6 and uh, even higher. <laughs> all right. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>